ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. To be productive and to achieve what we want is a combination of creating habits and redesigning your environment. Hey, what are you doing right now? If you're listening to this while doing something else, then it's probably automatic. And chances are, it's a habit. Up to 70% of everything we do every day is habitual. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong, and in this episode of This Working Life, I'm going to help you spring clean your habits. Because what we do outside of work really does impact how we work. Well, the habits certainly determine the culture of the company, determines the productivity of the company, the morale, and just, I mean, really our behaviours. And habits are a type of behaviour. That's behaviour scientist BJ Fogg. I am a researcher and a teacher at Stanford University. A bit later, he's going to give you practical advice on how to get out of some common bad work habits and you'll get his formula to replace them with new good habits. But first up, I had to ask BJ, where do we start when we want to spring clean our habits? I would, first of all, focus on creating new habits. Creating new habits is easier and faster than trying to break old bad ones. And by creating new habits, that will often displace the old bad ones or it will change your identity. So the ones you don't want, they will naturally fade away. So number one, focus on creating new habits. Number two, focus on a domain that you really care about, whether that's nutrition or physical activity or sleep or creating closer relationships at work. Don't pick a domain you don't want to do something in. Pick something where you're interested. Then within that domain, pick new habits that you want. What doesn't work is trying to get yourself to create a habit on something you don't want to do. And that's a design process, okay? So what we're talking about here is you're not creating habits through willpower or discipline. You're creating them through design, by picking the right habit, by designing for it to be really easy, that's ability, by designing for how it fits into your routine, that's prompt. And it's a design process and a design challenge to create new habits and transform your life, frankly. It's not a willpower or a discipline problem. Okay, so why is that? I want to reduce stress at work. I want to sleep better so I can be more productive. I want to eat healthier to avoid brain Mm -hmm. fog. But there is a massive gap between what I want and what I actually do. Why isn't this my fault, BJ? (laughs) Well, two reasons. Number one is so much in the world is designed to get you to stay up late, eat bad food, and so on. So you've got an environment around you that is working against some of these aspirations that you have. Number two, the traditional way of thinking about behavior change misleads you and millions and millions of others. The way we've been taught to change our behavior, to create habits, in my view, is wrongheaded, not very efficient, and as you know, not very effective. In what way? Well, most people, when they try to change their behavior, they pick something abstract and they try to motivate themselves towards something abstract, like I want to sleep better, I need to eat better. Those are abstractions. Those are actually not behaviors. Mm. You need to take that abstraction and boil it down to a set of specific behaviors. If it's like you want to get better sleep, so you perform better during the workday, 
What are the specific behaviors? Maybe it's going to bed at a very certain time. Maybe it's taking some sort of magnesium supplement to help you relax at night and so on. So those are specific behaviors you can design for. And you need to make those behaviors really easy. So instead of trying to motivate something abstract like better sleep or better nutrition, you need to pick specific behaviors and make those behaviors easy to do. So it's not about motivation. It's about design. What's the specific behavior and how do I make it really easy to do that behavior or that set of behaviors? BJ, what I love about you is that like all good scientists, you actually started experimenting on yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so can you talk us through what happened to you and what what you found when you were experimenting on yourself? Yeah, it was about 2010. I was uh, in my 40s and I kind of felt like my health was slipping and I wasn't being as productive as I wanted and so on. And I thought, oh my gosh, if I don't change now, it's going to just be like, downward spiral from here and I won't be able to recover, which first of all is not true. You can change your habits. You can transform your life at any age. So I started looking at um, my own behavior model. Like how do I change my behavior? And from looking at that model that I call the fog behavior model, I saw a portion in the graphical model. If you make a behavior really easy to do, it doesn't require much motivation. And that insight from my own model made me think, well, if I make a habit, a habit is a type of behavior. If I make a habit really easy to do, then I don't need to rely heavily on motivation. I don't have to keep myself motivated. Instead, all I need to do at that point is make sure there's something to remind me, what I call a prompt. So I started creating all of these habits, and it was like put on one drop of sunscreen, floss one tooth, do two push-ups, things that don't require much motivation, and I could create these habits quickly and easily without tapping into willpower or without relying much on motivation. When it comes to changing behaviours, willpower seems to get a lot of press, doesn't it? Like you obviously have a lack of willpower if you eat too much or if you can't do the things that you say you're going to do. So why do you find willpower gets in the way? People are misled to believe that you actually can tap into willpower over and over and over and over. Like if you have, for me, if I'm eating Mexican food and there are nachos on the table in front of me, I'm going to be able to resist for a little bit, but eventually I cave. I know I'm going to, because I love, I love salty foods. I love nachos. So instead, what you do in the behavior design approach and the tiny habits method is you do a behavior to make nachos very difficult or impossible. So in my case, it's like, no nachos. No, do not bring the chips to the table. Okay, you don't let them bring them to the table. Now, sure, I could go to somebody else's table and start picking nachos off their table, but I'm probably not going to do that. So what you try to do is you design your environment, whether it's a restaurant table, whether it's your cubicle at work, whether it's the lunch break at work, to make the good behaviors easy to do. And then the behaviors don't want to do make them harder and possible to do. What I love about that is it's such a forgiving way to go about things because willpower, I mean, by the end of the day, your willpower decreases because you just run out of steam. And so instead of berating yourself and feeling bad that you've done something like eat a whole bowl of nachos, uh, just to go easy on yourself, I feel like it gets us off the hook a little bit. Well, and for sure. I mean, so I've coached personally over 60,000 people 
individually coached since 2011, two to 300 people week after week after week after week, evaluating it, studying what worked, what didn't. And one of the things that doesn't work is to make people feel guilty, to make them feel ashamed. What does work is to say, hey, play around with this, be flexible, you're not going to be perfect, that's how it is, explore what you want, create habits that you want first and foremost, and help yourself feel successful even with the tiniest of successes. And that's important for a few reasons. That emotion, that feeling of success will encourage you to continue. But even more interesting, it's that emotion that when you feel successful, when you do a behavior, that signals your brain through dopamine to make that behavior more likely to happen in the future. In other words, emotions create habits. And so if you allow yourself to feel successful, that habit will wire in more quickly than if you beat yourself up or you say, oh, that wasn't a big deal. It was just two push-ups. It wasn't 50 push-ups. No, you want to have push-ups be a habit. And then the size of the habit doesn't matter very much. You just want to make sure that push-ups are the habit or greeting a colleague at work is the habit and so on. And as you create these habits, you can do So the people I coach, they typically did three habits at once over the course of a week. The vast majority of the people reported that at least one of those habits became automatic or very automatic within five days, within the five-day program. This flies in the face of the 21 days, the 66 days to create a habit. That's all baloney. (laughs) It's a function of the emotion you feel when you do the behavior. If you feel a strong, positive emotion, your brain connects that emotion with that behavior, that behavior can wire in substantially as a habit very quickly. Now, BJ, let's play. Okay. We've got a couple of people who really need your help. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's go to them. Hi, my name is Kim Tan. I'm a dispatch coordinator, which is a logistical and administrative hybrid role. The bad work habit I'd like to break is procrastination. More specifically, I have trouble just sitting down and focusing on tasks unless I'm really into the particular task. I'll get up and walk around a lot. So it definitely builds up. Over time, I've done a lot of, well, I've ended up working a lot of later hours to compensate for the lack of productivity during the day. And I once slept over at work because I had so much to do. I had to just push myself through throughout the night. Yeah, that was that was a bit full on. BJ. Yeah, that's both pretty common and pretty painful, isn't it? Mm. That's a pretty involved problem, and I won't try to solve all the issues, but let me give a very simple habit, a tiny habit for this. When you so- find yourself procrastinating a task, What I like to do is take a timer and set the timer for five minutes or seven minutes. I just pick some weird number, more than a minute, but I don't pick more than 10. And I just tell myself, okay, I'm going to set the timer for seven minutes. And I'm just going to work on this for seven minutes, even if I spin my wheels, even if I don't make any progress. And when the timer goes off, I can stop. Okay, so you tell yourself that at the beginning. Now, as you start working through that and you're like, okay, I've got five minutes left. Okay, I'm still frustrated, still terrible, I don't want to be doing this project, very often you reach a point within that seven minutes or whatever time frame that it's like, oh my gosh, the timer goes off and you're like, well, I will keep going. So in other words, you use this hack to trick yourself into getting started because starting is the hardest part. And once you get started, you often 
will allow yourself to keep going after the timer goes off. Now, to be fair to yourself, if the timer goes off and you're like, I don't want to do, stop, okay? Because I want you to use this technique over and over and be willing to trust yourself. If the timer goes off and I don't want to do this, I'm going to stop. But I think you will find that the majority of the time, the timer will go off and you'll be like, man, I'm going to keep going. Good for me. And then you will keep making progress on that project. Thank you, BJ, and hope that helps, Kim. Here is Nick Baker. Hello, my name's Nick Baker, and an annoying work habit that I have is I, I've got this massive to-do list, but I never actually finish it. I feel like I finish the important tasks, but the less significant work tasks, it just keeps growing and growing. And yeah, like I'm productive and I do everything, but just this, this list haunts me. I can totally relate to this problem. I'm a huge optimist, and you probably are too. I keep thinking, oh, I can do this, and I can do this. Maybe not today, but I can do it at some point in the future. This accepting of tasks to put on our to-do list is a habit that I also need to work on. And it's kind of fundamental. I'm an optimist, and I want people ask for a favor, and I say I can do it. So the habit to practice is saying no. Mm. Here's what I do. I mean, I think what I do every morning is I have a really serious prioritization method that I go through every morning, and sometimes I'll do it again in the afternoon. And I will prioritize against certain criteria. And then I'll take things off my list for the day. And as you know, when you do that, it feels so much better. And there's ways to move it way back in your schedule or just say, nope, I'm really not going to do this. This is not as important as I thought it was going to be. So for me, the key, even though I can't completely solve this problem for me or for you, but in my life, it is just to prioritize really hard every morning. And sometimes it's painful, but I have to be realistic about what's the most important thing and what can I get myself to do today? So it's a function of impact and can I get myself to do this? And if it's lacking on either one of those dimensions and I'm mapping it out like X, Y axis, because there's a way to actually map this out in two dimensions. I call this focus mapping, but those are the two dimensions, impact and can I get myself to do it? And if it's lacking on either of those dimensions, to me, it's a signal. It's like, no, don't even put it on your list for today. Maybe there's a moment in the future where I can get myself to do this, or it's going to be super important, but it's not today. I only have so much time today, and I need to have a personal life too. So prioritizing and almost to the point where it hurts, <laughs> you know, because if I haven't prioritized really hard in the day, I'm still looking at a huge list and I'm feeling overwhelmed. And what can often happen is like um, with the, the, the previous question, you can then just start procrastinating and walking away from it all because it's overwhelming. And that's what you don't want to have happen. When you teach your tiny habits in person, you actually start with celebration, this feeling, this positive emotion, and you have a great word for it. You call it shine. So how did that come about? What I stumbled across in hacking my own behavior was in this moment, and I would look in the mirror and smile after I flossed one tooth, there was this thing that happened that was not in the scientific literature. So it wasn't like I read a bunch of research and did it. It was like, oh my gosh, if I tell myself, allow myself to feel I did a good job, then I look forward to doing that habit again. And I remember to do that habit again. And as I looked at that more and more, I recognized that it was that emotion 
that caused us to remember to do the habit and also want to do it. And so that became part of the tiny habits method where you're self-reinforcing through your own emotion. And you don't leave that reinforcement to chance. You hack your emotion. You cause yourself to feel successful. Now, that emotion, that feeling of success does not have a word in English. And I talk to my academic colleagues that are world's expert in emotion. They're like, no, it doesn't. you've got pride, you've got satisfaction, you've got joy, you've got... But there's no word that is exactly that, that feeling of success. So I decided to give it a name. And after a little bit of research and testing, I decided to call it shine. So shine is the name of the emotion you feel when you feel successful. And there's various ways. I, sometimes I would look in the mirror and smile. Sometimes I way to go, BJ. Uh, it could be, woo, good for me. And I know that strikes people as a little wacky. But once you explore and learn what works for you, it becomes a resource. It becomes a tool you can apply at any moment. And in the tiny habits method, you apply it to help the habit form quickly and easily. How is celebrating different from rewards, particularly at work, BJ? The word reward in English, and I'm sure this is true in Australia as well, has various meanings. Often when people say reward, it's something that comes at the end of a process. It's the end of the quarter. We did great. Everybody's going to get this bonus. That really works more as an incentive. Okay. What that does not do is wire in habits. That motivates you to push towards something. So in that meaning of the word reward, it does not wire in habits. In the technical academic literature on behavior change, when they say reward, they mean what happens in that very moment when you do the behavior. So the way we use it in practical language can mean an incentive down the road, but that doesn't have an effect on, that has a motivating effect, not a brain change effects to cause the behavior to become a habit. So like a bonus. Yeah, like a bonus, like a prize at the end and and so on. And if you need to motivate yourself or others, an incentive or reward or bonus is a nice motivator, but it's not what causes the habit to become automatic. What causes the habit to become automatic is the emotion you feel in the moment. So your brain is like, oh my gosh, whenever I floss, I feel happier right after. Okay, so your brain's making this connection. And it's, there's actually a physiological process where dopamine gets released in that moment. So there's actually a physical change in the brain to make that behavior become more automatic, more likely to occur. This is true for products that we use. If you look at a product that you love and that you use every day, whether it's a digital product or a physical product, you will probably, if you can rewind and look at the first time you use that product, you will very likely, if you have a good memory, recognize that using that product gave you a strong, positive emotion. It gave you the sense of you had a superpower on the first use. And then that started making that product become part of part of your life, frankly. And if it didn't do that, if it didn't give you a superpower, if it made you feel guilty or stupid or incompetent in some way, you probably stopped using that product. Same is with uh, how we choose habits. If we do a new habit and we feel guilty or stupid or incompetent, we're going to avoid that behavior. But if we do a new habit and it helps us feel successful, like we have a superpower, then we're going to do that habit. It's more likely we'll do that behavior again automatically. And that's what a habit is. It's a behavior you do quite automatically. I am Dr. Gina Cleo, and I'm the director of the Habit Change Institute. 
One of the things that I see consistently, I would say, is taking work home and spending too much time on social media at work. And that's like one of the biggest, not just time wasters, but mental energy suckers. We think it's time that we can just sort of veg out and like let our brain relax through social media, but actually does the opposite. We get overly stimulated and we have to use more brain cells. So then we're not as productive when we go back to work. Actually, what research shows is when you have a shorter work day, you're more productive during that day because you're not thinking, oh, I'll just do it when I get home. I'll send that email later. It's like, no, I have to do it now. I can't procrastinate on this. And it's the same with our phones. You know, it's it's creating the barrier. I put my phone on silent in a drawer in my focus time. And then I'll say to myself, in the next hour or after one hour, I'll check my phone. But in this hour right now, when I'm in focus time, I do not touch my phone. Has there been a particular habit that you've been using, which you think has supercharged your work life? Ooh, actually, there is one that I adopted about six months ago, and it's been so awesome. And it's called non-sleep deep rest. Have you heard of it? Non-sleep deep rest. No, say more. So basically, I'm not a very good napper, but what I find is when I need a break, sort of in that afternoon time, like around 2.30, 3pm, I need to have a little break. What I will do is you shut down. So what what it shuts down is is I put on my earplugs, I'll literally close my eyes, I'll put myself in a dark room and I'll just do some deep breathing or a little 10-minute meditation or something like that. And it's honestly like try it because it's like having a hit of coffee where you're like, whoa, I feel so much more energized. And all it is doing is actually giving your brain a rest. And BJ, how can habits impact at the organisational level and even in company cultures? Well, the habits certainly determine the culture of the company, determines the productivity of the company, it determines the the morale. I mean, really, our behaviours. And habits are a type of behaviour, right? Habits are the type of behaviour you do automatically. So it affects, in some ways, almost every aspect of a business's culture, morale, productivity, and so on. And different companies have different challenges. Some companies want to be more creative. Some companies want to be more inclusive. Most companies want their employees to be healthier and so on. And all of those, I mean, the workplace is a, is a great opportunity to help employees and each other create good habits. And as you do that at work, it extends into our home environments as well. Okay, so pretty important. Well, one way to make new habits stick is the FOG behaviour model. B equals M-A-P. Can you break that down for us? Yes, so this is the model that changed the game for me and now a lot of companies who use this model. It's about human behaviour, all types of human behaviour, all ages, all cultures is one model. And it's like you said, it's behaviour happens when three things come together at the same moment. There's motivation to do the behavior. There's an ability to the behavior. And there's a prompt. The prompt is anything that says, do this behavior now. So if those three things come together at the same moment, you will do the behavior. Let's go back to flossing. So you have some motivation to floss. It can't be zero. Okay. So you have to have some. You have to have some ability. And in the tiny habits method, you make it really, really easy so your ability is high. And then there needs to be a prompt, something that says, do this now. Finishing brushing your teeth becomes the reminder or the prompt to floss. So those three things. Now, if they come together at the same moment, the behavior happens. 
This can be a behavior you want. It can be a behavior you don't want, by the way. Mm. And if you remove one of those items, the behavior won't happen. So part of redesigning our lives to be productive and to achieve what we want is a combination of creating habits and redesigning your environment. So the good behaviors are easy to do and the behaviors you don't want to have happen are hard to do or impossible. So you can deliberately design those. So to summarize, to start a new habit, the recipe is find a prompt. Could be like making your first cup of coffee at work. Try your new habit, like writing your top three priorities for the day, and then celebrate. Woohoo! Thanks to my guests, to producer Zoe Ferguson and to sound engineer Tim James. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share the love with a friend or a colleague who you think would also like to change up their work habits. This episode was produced on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Until next time, work it, baby. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.